I want to kind of catch up because we've been in this series for a while now in 11 weeks. And what I love about the book of Exodus is we think, we look back and, and we, we may look at the Old Testament like, okay, that, that doesn't relate to me. What, what does this have to do with me today? And I believe the, the book of Exodus has everything to do with what and how you're living your life today. That God draws us out of sin and now draws us un, unto himself to use us for his purposes and his glory. And what we're going to see today in the book of Exodus is, I think, something that every single one of us battle with. And here's, here's the reason why I think our country is in the mess that it is in. And I think why sometimes our personal lives are in the mess that they're in. And I believe it's misplaced priorities. I just think we're focusing on the wrong thing. And let me just say this. Just listen to me closely. I don't believe that they're necessarily wrong things. But I think we take these things and we put them in a position of our life that we think that they're going to save us, that they're going to heal us, that they're going to make a difference in our lives. But then they don't. They disappoint us. And what happens to Israel is they're at Mount Sinai. And, and God is establishing his relationship with them at Mount Sinai. He's speaking to Moses to give them the commands of God and show them this is the kind of relationship I want with you. And he gives them the commands to set up this stipulation on how they are to relate to God and then relate to each other. They understand what these rules are. They understand what these stipulations are. But yet something happens at the mountain that almost allows God to destroy them. It almost allows God to get to the point where it says, I am done with you. You're not getting it. You're stubborn. And Moses, through his intercession, says, wait a minute, God. You made a covenant with your people. Don't give up on them. And it's through Moses' intercession that God doesn't give up on them. But what, what, what is revealed to the Israelites at Mount Sinai is something that's deep within their hearts and is, and is deep within every single one of our hearts, and it's this. Each and every one of us so easily sets up in our hearts counterfeit gods. We think that these gods that we set up are going to bring us happiness and security, and they don't. And what God revealed at Mount Sinai and revealed in the heart of the Israelites is that their hearts and our hearts, as the reformers say, Martin Luther said, is that our hearts are idle factories. Aren't you glad you came to church today? And what I want us to do today is kind of reprioritize. In fact, I want us to reprioritize our lives. And let's get serious about God. Let's get serious. Amen. Listen, I think what happens in our lives, I've been here going on 18 years. You are so familiar with my voice. You know all my illustrations. You know all my hand gestures, right? You, you, we all get familiar, right? Same with our spouses. We get familiar. We get familiar with our kids. And how many know we get familiar at church? We sit in the same seat. We know the songs. We know each other. And it's very easy for us to numb out the voice of God because we get so familiar with our surroundings that if we are not careful, 
we might dull out the voice of God trying to speak to us. And I believe what God is speaking to the living word is he needs to shake us up. He needs our lives to be shaken up. And I believe it's easy for us to fall into these counterfeit gods and fall into our waywardness in our lives that we end up, it's, it's a slow fade, isn't it? It's a slow wayward away from God. We might be doing things that we think are right. I'm doing this. But meanwhile, God is not really speaking to us. We're really not following God. We're going through the motions, but God isn't really speaking to us. And this is what happened to the Israelites. They thought they were worshiping God through this golden calf, but they missed it. Even their leader, Aaron, missed it. And if they can miss it, we can miss it also. I read this article. It was interesting about this gentleman who who came to America in the 1830s. His name was um, Alexis de Tocqueville. And Alexis had this very interesting observation about America when he came from France. He, he was, Alexis was a French diplomat, a political scientist, a historian, and he traveled thoroughly throughout America and made many observations about what he witnessed in America. And during this time in America, there was this uh, industrialization, there was prosperity that was really beginning to move through North America, through, through the United States. And one of his most famous observations about America, he noted this, and I'll quote what he said. This is what Alexis said. He said, there's this strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants of the United States in the midst of abundance She see this great growth that America experienced caused this false sense of security that prosperity couldn't fulfill their desires for true happiness. And so Alexis added this. He said, the incomplete joy of this world will never satisfy the human heart. You see, we seek many things in this world that we think will deliver a greater sense of worth, but for us in the end, it, it, it doesn't deliver what it's selling. Which Alexis said created this strange melancholy. We have this, we have this great abundance, but yet, but yet there's, we're not truly happy. And, and which creates this strange melancholy. Ravi Zacharias has this amazing quote. He said, the greatest disappointment that will ever happen in your life It says, when you wake up the next morning and that thing, and he's talking about having an affair, but he goes, the very thing that you thought was going to bring the greatest fulfillment in your life, when you wake up the next morning, that that thing that you thought was going to bring the greatest fulfillment has just let you down. You see, the reality is we understand that the world cannot fulfill our deepest need. See, I want you to understand something. There's a difference between despair and sorrow. See, sorrow is this deep pain. We all, we all have sorrow from one time or another. Our sorrow can be consoled. It, it, it doesn't necessarily break us. We, we find comfort in others. We see what others have endured. It gets us through. We have a brother or sister in the Lord that prays with us. We know that we're not alone. We may, we may have sorrow, but we, at the end of the day, we know we're not alone. But despair is another thing. Despair breaks us. When we're in despair, we have no hope. It's inconsolable. And so why is despair so devastating? Despair comes when we feel like we've lost that ultimate thing in our life. 
this, this was my meaning for my living and now it's gone and there's nothing else to turn to. And I've, I've built my entire life around this. And really that is the definition of idolatry. See, when we think of idolatry, we think of maybe bowing down like we're going to read in just a moment with the golden calf of Israel. We think of, you know, some statue or idolizing some athlete or celebrity. But I want you to realize this morning, idolatry always starts in our hearts. And that's what God is going to reveal to Israel at Mount Sinai. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, God says this to him about the leaders of Israel. He says to Ezekiel in Exodus 4, uh, or Ezekiel uh, 14.3, he said, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They've, they have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their request? I like what Tim Keller says about idolatry. He says, idolatry is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. And so we may not think that we have a, a problem, but our hearts are very tricky. Don't trust it. If anyone says, follow your heart, how many, how many know that got you in trouble a lot, right? It, it will get you in trouble every single time. And so we do this all the time. We can take our success, the things that we have, even our children, which are all good things. And what do we do? We make them ultimate things. And then our hearts can make them the center of our lives. And this is where we get misplaced priorities and where we can miss God. See, this is the exact same thing that was going on in Israel. The scene is at the mountain. And what, what God does is he reveals what's really going on in Israel's heart. And God wants to break that in them. It revealed the idols that were still there and how they settled for a counterfeit God. So I want us to read what exactly happened here in Exodus 32. You can take your Bibles, grab the Bibles that are in the seat in front of you. You can look up at the screen here. But let's see what happened here. So here's the scene. They're at the mountain. Moses is hearing from God on Mount Sinai. Meanwhile, the Israelites and Aaron are back down on the side of the mountain. And they're, they're waiting for Moses to come. And they're saying, how long is he going to be there? And they get restless. And then all craziness breaks loose. Let's look at that. So in verse 1, chapter 32, it says, When the people saw Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us as for this. Now they're just like, as for this fellow Moses. Boy, they just threw him under the bus. As for this fellow Moses, you know, he leads them, brings them through the plagues, encourages them, takes them through the Red Sea. Now he's gone a little bit too long. Now they're like, we don't even know this guy Moses. We don't even like him anymore. Who's this fellow Moses? He's kind of gave up. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. Where is he? Verse 2, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that, that, that your wives, your sons, your daughters were wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and he made into an idol and cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to who? To the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed the burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. So they're offering offerings to the Lord. Afterward, they sat down to eat, drank, and got up and indulged in revelry. 
They sinned against the Lord. Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt had become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I've commanded them and, and made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I might destroy them. Then I, then I will make you into a great nation. Now let me pause there. We'll go into verse 11. You need to be here next week as we finish this series. It's, it's perhaps the most important pivotal message of this whole series. And I can't wait. Verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Oh Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power in a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce angle, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by yourself, I will make descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promise them, and I will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. And everybody said, Amen to the word of the Lord. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says this about a counterfeit God. He says, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that, that you should lose it. Your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion, your energy, your emotional, your financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family, children, a career, making money, achievements, critical acclaim, saving face and social standing. It can be romantic relationship, peer, peer approval, competence, skill, secure, comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, and even in Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is fixed on someone else's life, we call it codependency, but it's really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that then I will feel my life has meaning. Then I will feel secure and significant, especially if the Bills ever win the Super Bowl. I just added that in there by myself. Okay. See, there, there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. But perhaps the best one is worship. When that thing becomes so prominent in our lives. We, we wouldn't think it's worship, but it is worship because that's the thing that's going to bring us significance. And you will know quickly what things are idols in your life. The moment that thing is taken away or when that thing doesn't deliver. And I can relate to this because I'll tell you what my biggest idol was in my life growing up. My biggest idol growing up in my life was my blue blankie. Right? I could not live without my blue blankie. I just couldn't. And in fact, I had it for so long. It, it just, and you can't get another blankie, right? My parents know that. You can't fool your kids, 
right? You say, I'll just get you another one. Or they have a stuffed animal. It ain't working. They want that one, right? So I had this blue blankie and it had a nice little satin corners on. I'd rub it on my face and I I sucked my thumb till I was like 18. But I had this blue blankie and, and, you know, finally it got to be about this big because it just kept whittling down and the fabric was going on. Finally, my dad says, hey, Bard, listen, you're going away to college. (laughs) You need to give up the blue blankie, right? See, here's the thing. Did Aaron know better? Did Israel know better? Moses shares with them the commandments. They break the first two. They break the first two. Don't have another God. Don't have anyone before me. Don't have any carved images. And what do they do? They, They do both. Now, just on a comical side, I want to share with you the excuse that Aaron gives. This is pretty funny. In Exodus 32, 24, this is what Aaron says. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) So Aaron gave in to the people's demands Kind of. What Aaron does is he compromises. He blends pagan religion with the worship of God. This pleased the people, which led them to revelry or basically having an orgy. Just completely out of control. You see, if, if, if you're taking notes, check this out. Here's what happened. The golden calf gave them license to sin. Their hearts were in rebellion to God's word and they blanketed their rebellion by thinking it was worship to God. Mm, We need to take heed on that statement. Here's why. If we are not careful, we can do the same thing with our sin. We gossip, yet we blanket the gossip with a prayer request. We are in direct disobedience to God's word, yet we blanket it with God wants me to be happy stuff. See, at the end of the day, we deserve punishment. We know better, yet we don't listen or obey. And this is what creates the hardening of our hearts. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever, ever really been stubborn over something? How many of you live with a stubborn spouse? Don't raise your hands. I'm just, I'm just teasing. You guys are real boys. Those hands are like, yes. Right? Everything's an argument. Everything is, is this, and they see it a different way, and they're just, they're just stubborn. And it, it's funny, coaching. I'm, I'm enjoying coaching this JV, my daughter's JV volleyball team. And some of the girls, they're, they're cute. They're, they're nice girls. And, but when you're trying to teach them something new, and they're like, some of them are just so funny. No, I don't want to do it that way. I'm like, no, you're, I'm, I've got to break this bad habit. That's a bad habit that you have, and that's why you're not hitting the ball crate. No, this is the way out. And you have these. I'm like, who's the coach? <laughs> I am, right? And they're just stubborn. They're, they're funny, though. They're not being rebelled. They're just funny, but they, you, you're trying to break them of a bad habit. And sometimes we're just stubborn. And, and, and God called Israel just stiff-necked. You're, they're stubborn. And when you live with that stubborn person or you're a stubborn person, sometimes it's not very fun. How many have ever raised stubborn kids? Man, it's just like you're, you're having a conversation. And I've, I've got three of my own. 
Two of them are okay. One of them, I won't mention the name Colby, is just, we just sometimes, he's like a lawyer, right? He's got his points. And we sit there and I'm trying not to get angry. And then we get, kind of go through it for about 10. And then, and then what I've learned with Kobe, you got to let him go a little bit. Because if we get going, it's, it's not good. Because we're just like, I'm getting like, Kobe, you don't understand. It's just we got blah, blah, blah. And then about 20 minutes later, he'll come back and he'll say, Dad, I was thinking about it. And you're right. I go, why did you do that 20 minutes ago? Can it just stop all this? And I'm stubborn too. We're all stubborn, aren't we, at times? Sometimes I think we're just stubborn to be stubborn. We just want it our way, don't we? We just want to be right, and we don't, we're not going to budge. I can remember seeing this mom. She was a poor, poor mom. She was in Wegmans, and one of her kids just had a meltdown right in the middle of the aisle. He wanted some, I don't know what it was, a piece of candy or whatever, and he had a meltdown. And she's trying to, honey, just, we're almost done. Just, you know, and you can tell she's embarrassed. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, man, if that was my kid, why can't these parents train their, no, I'm just teasing, because I had the same problem with my kids, right? We shouldn't judge. And I could just see, he was just, he wanted his own way, and it just was not, and it, his voice got louder. And so I'm over like three aisles, and I just heard this, I'm like, I think they're going to have to call security. I think they're going to have to call the police. I mean, it was just getting bad. You see, here's what God sees. The idols in our hearts create a stubbornness against God. And that's why God had to break this stubbornness out of their hearts. That's why he called them a stiff-necked people. More than anything else, God wanted their hearts. See, what breaks our stubbornness is this. Our stubbornness is broken when our hearts are broken. Isn't it amazing when God speaks to your heart about your stubbornness and you're like, man, I was wrong. I was wrong. Israel was wrong. See, when we realize that, you know, I, I might have, you know, won this fight, but I lost the battle. I, I might have been right. I might have got my own way, but I lost that relationship. See, God wants to wipe out Israel. Moses intercedes for them. Israel deserved death. They deserved everything that was coming to her. They were guilty. But God shows mercy upon Israel through the intercession of Moses. Moses pleads with God. God, remember your covenant. These are your people. And so Moses intercedes. Moses humbles himself before the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, I'll spare you, but I'm not going to spare those stiff-necked people. But God relinquished his desire to destroy them. And what I want you to see here is Moses was their mediator Moses was their only hope. Moses stood in the gap for them. That's why one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Romans 5, 8. And it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus is our mediator. He stood in the gap for us. He's, he is our ultimate and complete mediator. Jesus is our only hope for our stubbornness and the idols that we've set up in our lives. Because this is what Jesus does. You're saying, well, pastor, how do I, how do I recalibrate my life and, and, and not allow good things to become ultimate things in my heart? 
How do I recalibrate my life so I can hear God's voice, that, that my heart doesn't become stubborn? Because listen, we get worked up about so many things that just don't matter. Amen? At the end of the day, who cares? Really? I mean, let's think about it. We get wrapped up in sports. We get wrapped up in all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, who really cares? We've got to reprioritize our lives, people. And so what Jesus does is Jesus breaks the idols in our lives by giving us himself. Because it allows us to see what's the most important thing, what really matters. And this is why I love that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He, he writes this letter to the Colossians, and he says this. I love this in, in Colossians 3, 1 through 5. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on what? Earthly things. Set your mind above. When Christ comes into our lives, it reprioritizes to look at Christ and set our minds on things that are really, really important. Because of this, for this reason, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly desires, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is what? Idolatry. So my selfishness, my need to have things ultimately fulfill me are broken and uprooted by Christ. And so Christ now is planted in those holes. The problem with idolatry is this. The minute we get rid of one, if it's not replaced by Christ, we only replace it with another. Right? Say, well, I know I've got to stop doing this, stop smoking, stop whatever. And then all of a sudden, then I now eat too much. Right? We just replace it with another thing. And so that's where we've got to be careful. Because if it's not uprooted and placed with Christ, we just fill it with another idol. You see, don't make things an ultimate thing. Enjoy those things in Christ. See it as a blessing from God. God, Give it back to God, and, and it will break the hold of idolatry in your heart. So let me, let, me, let me close with this. Let me just close with this. Here's, here's, our, here's how I want us to finish the, the service today. I really want us to ask the question in our hearts today. Is there something in my life that I've really made an ultimate thing in my life? Is there, and I ask it this way, if this thing were gone, would it just shipwreck my life? A am I putting all my hopes and aspirations in this thing. And this is where we fool ourselves because we fool ourselves believing that only idols are bad things. But I want you to realize today that if that thing is placed above Christ and what he's done for you, 
then it's an idol. And I really believe we need a shift in our hearts about what's most important in our hearts. What are the things that I'm concentrating on in my life today? Listen, as I said at the beginning, I know many times that we will uh, go through our lives and we just go through these motions and we may go to church and we give and we, and we do these things and maybe we're saying, well, I'm even serving in church and I'm doing these things, but they've lost their effectiveness in your heart because you're just going through the motions. And here's what God, God's desire for Israel was this, that they wouldn't go through the motions. He wanted their hearts This is what makes next week's message the exclamation point on this whole 13-week series. Because the desire of Moses was this. I'll give you a little, can I give you a little preview for next week? Here it is. Are you ready? Just follow me here and we're going to close. Listen. The desire of Moses when he was up on the mountain, he had such a close relationship with God. The very thing he said to God was this. He said, God, I see what you've done for us. We've developed this relationship from the burning bush. You've been with us through the plagues, through the Passover, taking us through the Red Sea. You've brought water out of a rock. You've fed us with this strange, what is it, bread from heaven, this manna. You've given quail to us. He's seen all these things that God has done. But the thing that Moses wanted more than anything else, and he's seen all this miraculous stuff that God has done. You know the very thing, the most important thing that Moses wanted more than anything else of God? He wanted to see his glory. He said, God, I want let your glory pass by me. And so next week, I think it's so important for us to understand, God, do I want to really know you? Or am I just going through the motions of just serving you and doing things? But, but do I really know you? Here's the heart of Moses. He wanted to see the glory of God in his life. And here's the very reason why God created you. So that his glory could be expressed through your life. That whatever you do, the New Testament says, you do it for what? The glory of God. I had a girl yesterday before the, our, our uh, JV uh, match. She ended the prayer like this. She goes, God, may we do it all for your glory. I'm like, no, we want the win. It's homecoming. We got to get the win. No, pray for a win. See, her heart was spot on. You see, when we do things for God's glory, it keeps us humble. When we do things for God's glory, it takes, it, 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 what it does is it, it removes us from placing wrong emphasis on things that we shouldn't be emphasizing. And it humbles us. God, I want my life to be seen and I want your glory to be seen that everything I do, everything I say, I want it to be done for your glory, God, because of what you've done for me. 
And I believe for Moses, the reason why he wanted God's glory, that was the most important thing. And here's what, here's what, here's what God says to Moses. I'm done with the people. Listen, I'm not going to kill them, but, but I'll allow you to go into the promised land, but my presence will not go with you. And Moses said, no, I won't go unless your presence goes with us. That's the thing that scares me more than anything else. I never want to lose a sense of God's presence in my life. That should be the thing that we should be most concerned with in our hearts and our lives. God, I don't want to lose your presence in my life. And so when we live our lives to the glory of God, that keeps us humble before him, that allows God's presence to lead us and to guide us. So may we look at our lives and just say, God, is there something in my life? Just pray. And we're going to close in prayer, but just pray, God, just be open to the Lord. Is there something in my life that I've taken? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's your kids, your job, your fine. I don't know what it is, but ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you and say, God, is there some this doesn't mean that God wants you to live your lives miserable. But you know what? When I do everything for the glory of God, whether the bills win or lose today, you know what? Just have fun watching it. Amen? Don't get all upset, mad, and let it ruin your day. Right? I'm going to have a good day if they win. I'm going to have a bad day if they lose. Whatever it is. Or if my kids, man, they're not turning out the way I want. I'm just upset. Look. The problem may be with us that we've misplaced our emphasis. God, I want to pray for my kids. Lord, help me not to get caught up and think, let me just enjoy the things that you've given us and not make it an ultimate thing. Because really, at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter. God, may your glory be shown through me that I might enjoy the things that you've given me for your glory. Amen? I'm done. So let's pray. Shall we pray? Would you stand with me today? You guys have been sitting a long time. Thank you for being patient with me today, changing up the service today. How many would you say with me, Pastor Bard, I want God to change my life. I want God just to, to mess me up. I want God just to, just to reveal those things in my heart that should not be there. So let's pray that. Let's make that our prayer. Dear Jesus, as we just close this time together, Lord, I just pray that you would reveal to each and every heart here today maybe that good thing that we made an ultimate thing whatever that may be. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just speak to our hearts, that we would begin to reprioritize our lives, that those counterfeit gods that we have set up in our heart, you would destroy and it would be replaced with Jesus, that he would be over everything. Lord, thank you for the wealth that you do give us. Thank you for all the things you give for our enjoyment, but may we not make them ultimate things. Thank you for our children. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you that we're able to watch football on a Sunday afternoon. Thank you for all those things. But God, may we not make those things ultimate things 
whatever they may be. So God, just speak to our hearts today. And may we look to you. And I just pray for our church today that God, you would help to realign us to what's most important. I thank you for your people. I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for your patience with us that, you're, that you don't give up on us. Thank you for Jesus who came to pay the price for us. So Lord, as we go in your presence now, I just pray, Lord, that you would do that deep work in our hearts. Lord, for next week, I pray for your, the word that's going to be spoken next week, God, and how we know your glory and how we can have your presence in our lives each and every day. God, may we come hungering and thirsting for what you would have for us even for next week, God. So we love you, we thank you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.